0: And uh, I now recognize the gentleman from Colorado, Mr. Ngoose, you're recognized for five minutes.
1: Well, I thank uh, the chairman. I would encourage the chairman to not take any more bathroom breaks because uh, when he left the room, it was apparently uh, devolved. But in any event, and I want to be careful about characterizing anyone's remarks, so I'll just, I'll just stick with, it's good to see you, Madam Secretary, welcome back. And I, for one, am very grateful you are here. I'm grateful that you're leading the Department of Interior. I think you're doing an outstanding job. Uh, It of course was a privilege of one of the privileges of my career and I know I speak for many of my colleagues here to serve with you on this committee and on the subcommittee on public lands and I couldn't be more grateful for the work that you're doing across our country and of course we we have been excited to welcome you uh, to Colorado on multiple occasions. Uh, We are grateful for your partnership with Secretary Vilsack in the decisions Uh, that uh, ultimately the president made last year regarding public land protections in Colorado, Camp Hale being designated as a National Historic Site, and uh, the BLM withdrawal uh, at the Thompson Divide. Of course, we were also grateful for the way in which you've implemented the legislation that we successfully uh, got across the finish line that President Biden signed into law to protect the Amache site in southeastern Colorado. And and, uh, I, you know, look forward to telling my children, uh, young children, one day, about that that visit, which was incredibly powerful and meaningful. I want to say thank you for also the work that you were doing with respect to wildfire management. And I thought I would approach this in two ways. So first, we've of course, are very grateful that we were able to come together on a bipartisan basis to make some significant headway in ensuring that our wildland firefighters are Getting the compensation that they deserve. They've been woefully underpaid, as you know, for decades, and we are finally starting to fix it. But more remains to be done. And I'm going to, I'll follow up with your office uh, outside of today's hearing, but we, we've had some letter exchanges with uh, the deputy, the principal deputy assistant secretary, uh, the honorable Joan Mooney, uh, as well as with her counterpart at the Forest Service regarding some of the implementation challenges. And, you know, I think. As you probably know, know, wildland firefighters were expecting as a result of the infrastructure bill that they would have a supplemental pay base increase. And there has been some obviously some confusion with respect to the implementation of the bill around some of how that is calculated. And so we'll just continue to work with all of you. We understand that more needs to be done at the congressional level as well to ultimately ensure that the president's budget request, uh, which includes significant wildland firefighting um, pay increases also is enacted into law. All that being said, what I want to ask you, Madam Secretary, is I, I am sure that you are aware of the budget decreases that some of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle have spoken about publicly. Is that, you're generally aware? And I know it's come up today during the hearing, but just to give you a sense, Madam Secretary, the Freedom Caucus has passed a resolution that would call for a $645 million decrease in the wildland fire management line item, which is a Department of Interior uh, agency wide line item. Could you describe just in practical terms what that would mean if the Republican budget decrease were enacted into law for our federal wildland firefighters?
2: Congressman? Uh, it's It's hard to uh, even imagine that um, because as you know in and, and you experience this in your district uh wildland fire is a consistent threat a persistent threat. We no longer have fire seasons we have fire years, and that is because uh we are in the crisis of this of our climate um, of climate change and um, it's just going to get worse so Um, It would be the worst thing to decrease um, the the resources we need to fight those wildland fires. And certainly, I think all of us can recognize that wildland firefighters are are the heroes of our country. And they deserve to be uh, compensated uh, fairly and and equally and deserve to have the benefits and the job security that that they need.
1: Well, I, I thank you, Madam Secretary. I couldn't agree with you more. I think the draconian budget cuts that have been proposed by some of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle are deeply dangerous for the West. I, I will just speak for the folks in Colorado that I represent, the Rocky Mountain West, the water conservation projects for the Colorado River, which the headwaters of which is in my district, the wildland firefighter pay increases and in stabilization measures that we've been fighting for. It was an reporter and I just came from a, an event with wildland firefighters talking to them about the stakes. So. Uh, I would hope that we could pull back from the edge and ultimately come together on a bipartisan basis to ensure that our wildland firefighters are paid appropriately. And I'll look forward to following up with your agency, Madam Secretary, specifically on the supplemental um, pay increase issue uh, for further clarification. Thank you. I yield back. Mm -hmm.
0: Gentleman yields back. The chair recognizes the gentleman from Louisiana. Mr. Graves, you're recognized for five minutes.
3: Thank you. Uh, uh, Madam Secretary, thank you for being here. Madam secretary, I, I have not been shy about uh, looking at this administration's energy policy and and finding that it's absolutely incomprehensible. Um, this administration has released an energy outlook out of the of uh, Department of Energy that shows that that there's going to be a fifty percent increase in global energy demand, a fifty percent increase in global energy demand in oil and gas specifically yet you, you yourself made statements saying that we are not going to produce oil and gas. The president has made statements saying we're not gonna produce oil and gas. The administration released a budget that explicitly said that they would not fund any projects that benefited oil and gas or resulted in lower prices for oil and gas. And, and when I talk to our constituents today, uh, wow, has this administration been successful in that we have seen gasoline prices that are outrageous. I, I, I like to remind people that, that on the day that the president took office, gasoline prices in my home state, the lowest price was $1.74 a gallon, a $1.74 a gallon. Madam Secretary, how in the world is it compatible to, to have our own Department of Energy saying that oil and gas demand is gonna increase and this administration effectively stopping lease sales, preventing any new energy from from being able to be produced. And, And just lastly, Madam Secretary, to put things in perspective, you would have to go back to the Jimmy Carter administration to find anything that's even remotely comparable to the number of acres that have been leased under this administration. And let me clarify what I mean by comparable. The Jimmy Carter administration leased 100 times more acres than this administration has um, in the first 20 months. Um, I I have never seen anything like this, and the impact on families across America is profound. Can you you explain this to me?
2: Congressman, thank you for the question. Um, First, I'll say that, uh, and I've said this many times, um, oil production on federal lands is at an all-time high. we not as
3: a result of actions of this administration. So, so, so don't take credit for the previous administration and even the Obama administration's actions. So, first, so, so we're talking about we're talking about future oil and gas demand. We're talking about actions under your administration. Please, I'm not going to hold you accountable for previous administrative C- actions,
2: C- Congressman. Um, our staff has been hard at work. Um, on applications for permits permits to drill. They've been doing that since I have been in office. Um, We are moving forward following the law. Madam Uh, Secretary,
3: I don't know that they have been hard at work because we, we just had, after the White House is out there, the President's out there blaming the energy industry and saying that folks are sitting on the APDs, the, the, there was, and everybody used this statistic over and over and over again, over 9,000 APDs out there approved. Whenever the, the department doesn't even know how many APDs are out there, they came back and said there were what, 2,600, 2,400 off? I mean, this is incredible. And as you know, that, that statistic is not an accurate statistic in that there's so many other actions, approvals, permits that are required to actually produce. Many of these, these APDs are actually in litigation as well. And so it's, it's, it's disingenuous to, to, to say that, but, but I'm sorry, I interrupted you, please.
2: Uh, thank you. The, um, there are nearly 7,000 um, permits to drill currently at, that are not being used. Um, pursuant to the RRA, we reinstated lease sale 257. 258 last year. But, but, lease but, but Madam
3: Secretary, those were required by law. These are not actions of this administration. You didn't want to do it. The, the, the Biden administration didn't want to do it. That was crystal clear. The only reason those lease sales are progressing is because the law requires it, not because of, of anything that you wanted to do. You fought. You fought in court against requirements to do it because we believe that you're not complying with the Mineral Leasing Act or the Outer Continental Shelf, Shelf, Outer Continental Shelf Lands Act that requires lease sales.
2: Congressman. If I could continue, uh, because you said, I just want you to know that we have had lease sales. Lease sale 259 was held on March 29, 2023. Lease sale 261 will be held the end of September 2023. So uh, we are following the law. We are moving uh, permits through the process. Uh, there is career staff who take their jobs very seriously. Ma- Ma- Madam and I Secretary, appreciate I've got, I've got 10 seconds
3: left. Do. I want to slide one question in real quick. I'm watching emissions go up under all of this that is supposed to be done under the auspices of climate change. How, how, is, that help, how is this helpful? Emissions are going up, not down under these policies. They're going up, not down.
2: Well, we're also working on our clean energy goals, and at some point, none of this is successful.
3: We're becoming more dependent upon foreign countries. Prices are going up, and emissions are going up. I've never seen anything like this, and I'll just yield back. But again, I want to say I've I've never seen such incomprehensible energy policy having such a profound impact on American families across the country. Thank you, yield back.
0: Gentleman yields back. The chair recognizes the gentlelady from California, Ms. Porter. You're recognized for five minutes.
4: Thank you. I hope you can hear me, Secretary Holland, at this volume. Um, For far too long, oil and gas have skipped out on their responsibilities, leaving abandoned and orphaned wells all over our public lands. We know of about 120,000 oil wells sitting unplugged and idle right now. However, the Washington Post recently found that the number of orphaned wells in the US could be as high as one million but we're just scratching the surface of an even larger issue. When oil and gas companies get a permit, they make a promise to taxpayers to clean up their mess. They promise to cover the cost of cleanup. Secretary Holland, when was the last time BLM updated their oil and gas bonding requirement?
2: Congresswoman, thank you so much. Um, I want to say that there is a proposed rule currently uh, that will implement the changes from the Inflation Reduction Act, as well as address BLM's bonding requirements.
4: I'm very glad to hear of some progress on that front, because the last time BLM updated it was 1960. Um, Do you know, Secretary Holland, what is the average cost of the bond that oil and gas must put up before they can drill? Congresswoman I don't have that figure in front of me, but okay, so the minimum bond and I'm gonna make sure you can see this I'll read it to you. The minimum bond um, is ten thousand um, dollars That's the bond that's and then the typical so this, this is the typical bond cost ten thousand dollars for a single well The median cost of doing the bare minimum just capping it not cleaning it up just capping it is $20,000 The actual cost of doing surface reclamation um, is $76,000. And the high point here to completely clean it up and the most expensive wells cost about $145,000 to reclaim. Yet this is the bond amount. Do you think a $10,000 bond for oil and gas is good enough given these costs?
2: Congresswoman, I know that depending on where the oil, um, the orphan oil and gas wells are, uh, depends on what the cost is, so it absolutely varies according to where it is. We, we visited some some of those sites in the city of Los Angeles, and those are clearly going to be more expensive than doing it out in a field. Are you Texas. aware
4: of any wells that can be capped and reclaimed for the, the 1960 bond amount of $10,000?
2: Congresswoman, I recognize that that everything has um, increased since the 1960s, and so it stands to reason that um, that these costs, uh, yes, are more expensive today.
4: So, do you, Secretary Holland, support BLM updating its bonding requirement to reflect the actual cost of cleanup?
2: Congresswoman, uh, we absolutely agree with you that uh, bonding reforms are long overdue, and the BLM is working on that proposed rule uh, for the revision of existing regulations pertaining to fossil fuel leases and lease process, and we hope to have that rule um, later this year, and we'll keep your um, staff apprised of that.
4: I appreciate that because in 2018, the GAO found that bonds for 99.5% of wells on public lands are not sufficient to cover cleanup costs. So according to Columbia University, it could cost us all as taxpayers $24, 24 billion. I had to look at the number, $24 billion to find and plug just half a million abandoned wells with taxpayers taking the hit. Um, so be, on behalf of all those who love our federal lands, on behalf of all, every American taxpayer, I hope that you will force oil and gas companies to um, pave to clean up their own messes and update the bonding requirement for extraction. Um, in my last, I want to turn to another topic. In my last hearing as um, Oi uh, subcommittee chair, We had a bipartisan hearing on park overcrowding and a major problem we uncovered was that the OMB was holding up approval of the collection of information we need at the park level to manage overcrowding. And I sent a letter in March about this to OMB, I have not received a response. I know you're concerned about overcrowding too. Um, Would you call Administrator Revez and ask them to accelerate approval to get the park administration this critical information they need to make sure that we can protect our public lands and allow Americans to enjoy our parks?
2: Congresswoman, we are happy to reach out to OMB um, to
4: ask if they can move this forward. Thank you so much, Secretary Holland. I yield back.
0: Gentle lady yields back, the chair recognizes the gentleman from Guam. Mr. Moreland, you're recognized for
5: five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Madam Secretary, Guam, Hawaii, and CNMI have the largest total of number of COFA migrants. And between 2004 and 2018, these three jurisdictions reported 3.2 billion in costs related to being host communities for these COFA migrants. While during this time period, between 2004 and 2019, they received only $509 million in federal grants and reimbursements to offset these costs. Not $509 million each, but a total combined. This estimate is about $34 million pool shared, with Guam receiving an average of $13 to $14 million a year. Madam Secretary, can you commit to working with my office on addressing this inadequate and unfair financial burden placed on Guam and my constituents by these COFA agreements, agreements which our community had no say in.
2: Congressman, we would be more than happy to reach out to your office and see how we can help, you know, help to work on this issue together.
5: Thank you. Um, Changing subjects, Madam Secretary. As you're aware, Guam plays a critical role when it comes to the Indo-Paycom theater and the nation's defense. We are a community of proud patriots with the highest number of enlisted per capita in the nation. However, our road infrastructure overall is terrible. And while recent federal funds have helped to a certain extent in repairing certain roads, and, and please don't get me wrong, we are very appreciative, we're a very appreciative community but much more work needs to be done madam secretary can you explore your existing authority to help direct more discretionary spending towards funding the road and bridge repairs in Guam through grant programs and can you commit to working with my office on addressing this issue
2: as again congressman we're so happy to um, to see how we can help help with this issue in your in Guam and um, recognize the the hardship that it causes to your constituents. We'll, we'll be happy to reach out.
5: I appreciate that. And for my final question, Madam Secretary, do you plan on visiting Guam in the near future? And I would like to invite you to my district so that you can see firsthand proud proprietors of America's soil who are often forgotten. Forgotten when it comes to certain federal programs, such as Supplementary Social Security Income, also known as SSI. Yet, we continue, to display their, we continue to display our hospitality. And I will be reaching out to your office soon to seek support on legislation to allow the qualified residents of Guam to attain SSI benefits as any other American citizen residing in the U.S. state would receive. But in closing, I do hope that you would accept my offer and visit Guam to truly understand the needs of the residents of the Territory are a territory under your jurisdiction. I thank you, Madam
2: Secretary. Thank you, Congress. It would be my honor to visit Guam. And so we will, of course, we'll see how that uh, fits in with my schedule. But I appreciate the invitation and it would be my honor to visit you there. Thank you.
5: Thank you, Madam Secretary. Uh, uh, Mr. Chairman, I yield back. Thank you. The gentleman yields back. The chair
0: recognizes the gentlelady from New York, Ms. Casio-Cortez. You're recognized for five minutes.
6: Um, thank you, Mr. Chair, and thank you, Madam Secretary, for joining us today. Um, it's, it's wonderful to see you here testifying. Um, you know, I want to echo a little bit of um, one of my earlier colleagues' comments in that we are very grateful for many of the decisions uh, and policies um, coming out of the department, but we are also very concerned about some of uh, uh, this business as usual, to use his words, around oil and gas development. As was stated several times during this hearing, oil production is at an all-time high under the Biden administration, higher than um, even under the Trump administration. And part of that, you know, within the context of that, uh, is the department's decision around the Willow Project. Uh, there has been overwhelming uh, opposition around the department's decision to approve the Willow Project, uh, which was picked up after the Trump administration's decision was turned over um, in an attempt to do the same. Uh, This project was first approved uh, under the Trump administration in 2020 and tossed out in court as unlawful. It instructed the BLM to reassess the project's full climate impact and consider alternatives. Um, When the Biden administration then picked up Trump's failed project for a second approval attempt, Um, it seems to have still failed to meet the court's assessment requirements. Uh, In fact, we have heard from the New Exit uh, community leaders um, that have maintained that the BLM has, quote, unquote, completely failed to acknowledge their attempts at consultation, and I would like to submit that uh, letter from them to the record. Additionally, the Alaska Wilderness League has confirmed that they were not consulted at all before the department released the environmental impact statement. Um, but I would actually like to direct my question to uh, Mr. Boudreau, um, as the deputy secretary of the department. Um, I am interested in the decision-making process and the contours of the decision-making process around uh, Willow. Um, who within the department, uh, were some of the key stakeholders, who are the leaders uh, involved in making this decision?
7: Um, so the decision is on Bureau, well the Willow Project is an, was an application before the Bureau of Land Management. Uh, and so BLM Alaska staff uh, conducted the analysis, the supplemental EIS analysis uh, as directed by the court um, also involved, of course, through the chain and command was you know BLM director uh, and uh, the um, uh, principal deputy assistant secretary for Land and Minerals. At the end, um, ultimately I signed the record of decision. Uh, mm-hmm. And so uh, it's my signature on that document.
6: So you signed the record of decision around the Willow project? Yes. Um, did the White House at any point uh, weigh in on, this, on a preference on this decision with you?
7: As with all of the matters in front of the department, we, of course, uh, coordinate uh, with the White House. Uh, at the end of the day, though, a uh, permitting decision like Willow is one that rests with uh, the secretary and her authorities. Uh, and as deputy secretary, uh, I was the one who signed the record of
6: and did uh, BLM or anyone in the department provide rationale for not consulting some of the major stakeholders uh, or failing to consult properly or account properly, such as um, the consultation from the New Exit community or the Alaska Wilderness League?
7: Uh, so again, you know, both uh, Rosemary the Mayor and New Exit and folks at Alaska Wilderness League are uh, people that we know well in the department and uh, I know well personally. Um, and so you know, I don't mean to um, contradict, um, but uh, there has been throughout this process very close communication uh, with New uh, Wixit with as well as with all interested stakeholders.
6: Thank you. And one last question. Uh, given the precarious nature of the project's approval in the courts, uh, and and given your, your, your um, role in the decision, will the department consider holding off on approving, Permits to drill for Willow until the litigation is settled? Uh,
7: the posture of the department right now is that uh, the recorded decision has been issued. Um, there has been litigation filed. Um, absent an injunction from the court, um, the project has uh, the approvals to conduct the activities reflected in the recorded decision.
6: Thank you, and I yield back.
7: Gentle lady yields back.
0: The chair now recognizes the gentlelady from Florida. Ms. Luna, you're recognized for five minutes.
8: From ensuring the Bureau of Ocean Management continues to follow the moratorium on Florida's offshore energy development to the Fish and Wildlife Services uh, protection of critical marine species and their habitats, the Department of Interior plays a substantial role in my district and throughout the state of Florida. Florida beaches are vital to the success of our coastal communities and the protection of our wildlife in 2021 alone. Florida's visitors contributed 101.9 billion to the local economy and supported nearly 1.7 million jobs. The moratorium on offshore energy development projects um, and Florida's beaches and wildlife from disasters like the 2010 BP oil spill and protects our national security interests as well as protecting our military readiness and training activities at Eglin's test ranges and complexes throughout the Jacksonville range complex areas. Similarly, Florida's beaches are home to some of our most beloved marine wildlife, some of which are protected under the Endangered Species Act, but unfortunately, the erosion of Florida beaches puts many wildlife that are listed under the ESA at risk, making it necessary for routine coastal maintenance. For example, the Sand Key Project in my district is up for renourishment, and the erosion Erosions of beaches like Sand Key can be devastating because it leaves infrastructure prone to flood damaging which negatively impacts the local economy and also demolishes many habitats that endangered species and threat- threatened wildlife rely on. In fact, the Sand Key project has directly impacted species like the loggerhead turtles, piping, plo- um, plover seat shorebirds, western Indian manatees, eastern backed rails, red knots, wood storks, and American crocodiles, all of which are federally classified as endangered or threatened species and reside in or around the same Key region. So, with that being said, my question is for you, Secretary Haland. The erosion of shoreli- shorelines affecting natural resources, energy defense, public infrastructure, and tourism. How has the Department of Interior and Bureau of Ocean Management worked to address the erosion along our nation's coastal beaches, barrier islands, and westlands?
2: Congresswoman, thank you. And first, I want to thank you for your care and concern about the marine life in your district and beyond Florida. I went to Florida and um, had a chance to um, be in the Everglades. And it really is a magical place. Um, I I can't honestly, I'd be happy to get back with your staff about any specific programs that we have for um, coastal erosion in your area. And um, certainly, we're always happy to work with you on any ideas or projects that you would like to present to us, and uh, we care deeply about, um, about these areas.
8: Um, this next question is for anyone on the panel. How long does it typically take the Department of Interior or each Bureau to provide the necessary permits for projects like Sand Key, where sand placement is critical to the restoration of endangered habitats?
7: Uh, As the secretary said, we can provide statistics like that. I will say, you know, as the former director of the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, uh, uh, marine minerals and coastal restoration is one of the primary missions of BOEM, working with our partners, including the Army Corps, uh, on those types of projects. If I can just
8: ask you a real quick question. So the Army Corps is giving us pushback and they are failing to acknowledge that this is actually a very endangered habitat. So we need help on it because they're giving us some bureaucratic nonsensical answer. And obviously I think you guys might have a little bit of pull there, so we'd yeah. appreciate your help. Well, I
2: will
7: uh, reach out to um, to Mike Connor at the Army Corps who used to have my
8: job. So I'm I know about to, like, he do appreciates protest. our Like mission. I'm not even kidding. Like I am about to go to the office and protest because it's nonsense. OK, so in, um, is the Department of Interior or Bureau of Ocean Energy Management committed to following the offshore energy development moratorium on the Eastern Gulf? So as you know from Florida, I would I would bet you probably can't find a Florida rep that's going to want anything off our shores, I don't care what it is.
2: Thank you, yes.
8: Okay, good. I like to hear it. Thank you, guys. Chairman, I yield my time.
0: Gentle lady yields back. The chair recognizes the gentlelady from New Mexico, Ms. Stansberry, you're recognized for five minutes.
9: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And I want to take this opportunity, like some of my colleagues have before me, to welcome our Madam Secretary and Deputy Secretary and Director Flanagan, who I had the pleasure of working with in a former life, and to say New Mexico is in the house. Uh, We're excited to have you here today. Uh, And before I dive into some of the budgetary matters that we're here to talk about today, I do want to just take a moment to acknowledge the incredible work that you've done as a leader within the Department of Interior and in the administration along with all of you who are serving and all of your staff. You know what a difference leadership makes across all areas and all missions and bureaus of the department, whether that's addressing tribal affairs and being good partners to our sovereign tribal nations, addressing the climate crisis, or tackling our conservation and our water issues. And so with that in mind, I want to just really uh, celebrate some of the big successes that the department has made over the last couple of years, and also acknowledge some of the proposals in the budget that I'm very excited about in particular on tribal affairs, Uh, You know, the Biden administration after a four-year hiatus of the tribal nations conference has begun to convene and consult once again with our tribal nations. Uh, The budget makes significant investments in our tribal nations and the particular initiatives, Madam Secretary, that you have led on around missing and murdered indigenous women and the boarding school project. And I'm excited to also see in the budget full funding for contract support costs, which is vital to our our tribal nations and something that I worked on for many years which is to secure mandatory funding for Indian water rights settlements and Mr. Chairman I would like to say it is long past due to get it done. Our tribes are depending on us and we have to get that across the finish line and I want to commit to you all today that I'm here to be in that fight to make it happen. On conservation and science, obviously, we see significant investments in this budget, I'm especially appreciative of uh, the commitment to the 30 by 30 initiative, which, uh, Madam Secretary, you've taken such a leadership role, the uh, increase in firefighter salary funding, which we know is so vital for our first responders, and, of course, the comprehensive approach to conservation and water issues uh, in general. And, of course, uh, the commitment and leadership of the department in helping to get our climate and clean energy dollars on the ground, which this body passed through our work on the Inflation Reduction Act and the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill. So uh, it's really an extraordinary accomplishment. I'm excited. As you all know, I worked at OMB, and I'm a bonafide budget nerd. And so uh, I'm always excited to read about the initiatives that uh, are in the department's uh, budget. But I do want to take a couple of moments to touch on some issues that are near and dear to New Mexico's first congressional district, which, Madam Secretary, you know oh so well as the former Congresswoman for our district. Um, And the first is I want to thank you personally for your support for the Tohajale Community School. We just passed over $90 million to help replace that community school in the Tohajale community of the Navajo Nation. And as you know, Madam Secretary, that will transform that community, not only by bringing dollars to uh, update that facility, but also jobs and really a transformative um, impact in the community. But as I think has been stated, that's just one school. And we have an over $4 billion dollar backlog in BIE schools and I know that there's an increase in this budget for um, for our BIE schools but it only comes to about one-tenth of the total amount needed to actually address that backlog so my first question is and I, I think I can assume the answer will you commit to working with us here in Congress to make sure we get full funding to address that backlog absolutely Thank you very much. Secondly, I want to just touch really quickly on four projects that are really vital for our district and our tribal communities, and that is to ask for your support and your help in getting uh, administrative efforts to protect Chaco Canyon across the finish line, administrative efforts to withdraw the Buffalo Tract in New Mexico, to advance the water rights, the middle Rio Grande Pueblos, which are currently uh, beginning the adjudication process, and to protect Oak Flat, which of course is the sacred land of the Apache people, which not only live in Arizona in the chairman's uh, uh, home state, but also in our state in New Mexico.
2: Congresswoman, thank you so much. Um, I know that uh, a lot of the projects and and issues that you mentioned, they are uh, being looked at. in our um, department. And I just appreciate your support and your um, full support
9: of tribal nations across our country. Thank you. Thank you. And Mr. Chairman, I know I'm out of time. But I do want to just say I would be remiss if I did not bring up the issue of the Colorado River. The basin states have made extraordinary efforts to try to find a collaborative path forward. Um, My colleague from California is not here to uh, defend his home state. but. we really need to make sure that all of our basin states come together in good faith and that we do not have a federal takeover of our waters on the Colorado. So, um, you know, uh, I do want to ask for the commitment of the department to work collaboratively with our states and tribes on the Colorado as well as the Rio Grande. So, thank you very much, and I yield back.
0: The gentlelady's time has expired. The chair now recognizes the gentleman from Arizona, Mr. Gosar, you're recognized for five minutes.
10: Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and
0: welcome Secretary
10: Holland. Now, I'm gonna ask you a question. Do you think it's important to weigh all factors before making a decision to withdraw lands or waters from mineral production?
2: Thank you so much, Congressman. Of course, there is a process um, to, yeah, yes to no, no. this.
10: I mean, you don't so, exclude any information, so do you? So we,
2: we follow the process. We, we want to hear from all the stakeholders. We, we do a thorough job. Okay.
10: So do you know how much money current mineral production provides to the Navajo Nation members every year?
2: Uh, Congressman, I don't have that figure in front of me.
10: Well, let me, let me give it to you. In 2022, almost $40 million of revenue went to Navajo lotties from one company alone. Now, do you know how much Navajo members stand to lose from restricting future production in the proposed buffer zone in the Chaco Canyon mineral withdrawal? And do you know how much it would cost the government?
2: Congressman, I know that we don't, I mean, it's hard to project what those numbers are if those areas have not been um, under production, but um, I appreciate the question and...
10: Well, um, let let me give you some examples. The answer is $194 million over 20 years. It would also cost the BLM over a billion dollars in royalties over those 20 years. Now... The mineral estate owned by the Navajo Alates is in a checkboard pattern with federal lands and without the federal leases and right-of-ways, their minerals won't be developed. And this is very key because I, was, I supported the Chaco Canyon uh, monument, but I also had a commitment from the now senator that there would be access to, those, to the, uh, an easement that would uh, address the Alates. Would you commit to considering these impacts before making a final decision and with that withdrawal? And if so, having an easement for those allottees?
2: Congressman, um, I just want to assure you that any withdrawal uh, protects existing rights of those allottees. And, and
10: so access is is part of that? Uh,
2: it. What I can tell you is that any withdrawal is protecting the existing rights of the people who live. Well, in those it should be areas. very.
10: It should be very simple, and that that an easement for access to those royalties or, or to those minerals uh, be part of that decision.
2: Th- thank you, Congressman. I know that, as I mentioned, there is a process currently. Um, there is a public comment period happening with respect to the issue that you have raised and um, there has not been a decision made as of today. Okay,
10: well, now why is the Department of Interior continuing to issue mineral, minerals withdrawals and then throw up other administrative hurdles for minerals in our country, in, that our country already has, like lithium, copper, nickel, and others, while at the same time the president is trying to buy them from other countries with taxpayer dollars from the Inflation Reduction Act? Why, why, why would we be supporting people like the... Uh, Chinese when they're using child labor in the Congo, we have a right here. We do it better than anybody else. Why would we die?
2: Congressman? Thank you for the question. And um, I know that um, as Deputy Secretary Baudreau mentioned earlier about the um, the work on the interagency work group for mining reform, we're working to move um, to move this law into the twenty first century. Um, We have, uh, there are places for critical minerals to mine in this country. We're working hard to move some of those forward. The department has actually uh, permitted 20 uh, new mines or mine modifications since January of 2021.
10: So, I'm glad you said that. So, Arizona is famously known as the Copper State due to our tremendous reserves. Due to the significant supply fluctuations since 2018, copper and other minerals not currently designated as critical by your department may now qualify under the existing USGS methodology as critical minerals. As secretary, you have the authority to reevaluate critical minerals list at any time between the required evaluations of every three years. Given the severe supply chain risks that have deepened with China's growing global influence, can you commit to a reevaluation of the current critical minerals list before the required update in 2025?
2: Uh, Congressman, I know that the United States Geological Survey is mandated by the Energy Act of 2020 to make that, to redo that list every three years, and so um, I believe that, yes, 2025 is the next time that they are, it, that they will update it, it's, it's that sa- list.
10: Just, it, it, it says that's the minimum. I mean, as a secretary, you should be looking at the landscape and being able to uh, and, and you have the ability to change those as a directive. And I think based upon what technology is going through here, this is very important to have. So i yield back. Thank you.
0: Gentleman yields back. The chair recognizes the gentlelady from New York. Ms. Velasquez, you're recognized for five minutes.
11: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I'm ranking member. Uh, Secretary Hollande, uh, welcome to the committee. Uh, as you all know, the renewable energy industry on public lands and federal waters has incredible potential to accelerate the clean energy transition. I'm excited to see the progress so far in my home state of New York, which now have five commercial scale offshore wind projects in active development. The Inflation Reduction Act, which Democrats passed last Congress included several boosts to clean energy through a significant amount of funding for permitting. Uh, My question to you is how DOI is using the Inflation Reduction Act funds to encourage sound and streamlined permitting for renewable energy projects on federal land and waters, specifically offshore wind.
2: Congresswoman, thank you so much for the question. And of course, um, per- permitting uh, happens because we have experienced staff in place to move those applications forward. We can't do it without, without staff. Um, if we are able to hire more staff, then it, re- it stands to reason that we can get those things done um, faster. Uh, the fiscal year 24 budget contains significant resources to ensure that we're moving forward to meet the president's goals. and includes 64 million for BOEM's renewable energy program with a 12 million dollar increase to support permitting.
11: So what is DOI doing to help prepare communities for this uh, emerging clean energy industry in terms of workforce and community outreach, particularly in underserved communities. Congresswoman, I know that um, we are working hard to make
2: sure that that these jo- that the new jobs that are that are going to be available in this um, clean energy sector um, are that people are trained for those jobs. That's one of the reasons why union labor is so important in some of these projects, um, because they do have a training component. And um, so, of course, um, as you know, the job—you know—the everyone's working right now. We have a very low unemployment rate, um, but we but we are um, always working to make sure that uh, folks are trained for tomorrow's jobs in this well, sector. Well, I want
11: to see a real outreach in underserved communities that have uh, face. Uh, um, um, deal with the brunt of environmental uh, injustice in those communities. So they need to reap the benefits, at least, in terms of job creation that will come with the transition from fossil fuel to energy. Absolutely. Uh, President Biden's Justice 40 initiative will ensure that at least 40% of the overall benefits of federal investment in climate-related programs go to disadvantaged communities that has been disproportionately affected by pollution. The FY24 budget includes two million dollars to support these efforts. Can you briefly discuss how the department is transparently implementing Justice 40 across the several programs it oversees? Thank
2: you, Congresswoman. Um, The Bureau of Reclamation will be awarding $550 million in grants, contracts, or financial assistance agreements for disadvantaged communities for up to 100% of the cost, planning, design, or construction of water projects to provide domestic water supplies to communities or households that do not have reliable access to domestic water supplies, Additionally, Reclamation will also be distributing $4 billion in grants, contracts, or financial assistance for drought mitigation to public entities and to Indian tribes. Uh, The Office of Insular Affairs received $15.9 million to provide technical assistance for climate change planning, mitigation, adaptation, and resilience to the US insular areas. Um, $25 million to the Office of Native Hawaiian Affairs uh, to carry out programs. Uh, for climate resilience and adaptation activities. Uh, we're very proud of, of the funding that we have been able to manage moving forward in these communities. And I, I recog- as I mentioned earlier, um, it's the communities that can least afford it that are having the
11: worst effects of climate change. And I hope that you include the territories that are our responsibility.
2: Yes, absolutely. Thank, thank you. Thank, thank you, Congresswoman.
0: Ladies, time has expired. The chair now recognizes the gentleman from Georgia. Mr. Collins, you're recognized for five minutes.
12: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Secretary Halland, one of my uh, priorities in Congress is holding the government accountable and making it uh, more transparent so that Georgians know where their tax dollars are being spent. Reviewing your budget request, I noticed that uh, it includes $53.6 million to fully transition the department's light-duty fleet to zero emission vehicles. Secretary, one of the major challenges with all electric vehicle fleets is getting enough critical minerals to make the chips and batteries necessary to make these vehicles run. Right now, the US imports more than 50% of its supply for 25 different minerals from China. Would you rather we be relying on China and forced labor for these chips or open up mining in Minnesota, Nevada, and other places and get that critical minerals from right here in america
2: congressman thank you very much for the question and uh, as we mentioned earlier we're working hard to move this issue forward um, the interagency work group on mining reform uh, is working to expedite some of those permits and so forth but we recognize that uh, we would like to do more here in our country uh, and um, and we also recognize the need for critical minerals. So uh, we want to do more produ- uh, domestic production. President Biden believes wholeheartedly in energy independence for our country. All
12: right. Moving on then, uh, Secretary Howland, how many employees does the department currently have?
2: Employees uh, were a little over 60,000.
12: I think somebody needs to adjust your website then front page it says 70,000. Where are these uh, employees located? Are they here in D.C.?
2: Uh, we have employees all over the country, uh, congressmen, here in D.C., out west, all over. We have national parks all over the country, wildlife refuges all over the country. I was just asking
12: about the majority of them if they were here in D.C.
2: Um, I don't think there's a majority in DC. I think the vast majority are out in the field in uh, working on our public lands. Let
12: me shift gears for a minute and get to to what I was asking for then. Um, On April the 10th, President Biden signed Representative Gosar's bill ending the COVID-19 national emergency. Secretary, how soon after he signed that bill did you order all of the Department of Interior headquarters employees back into the office?
2: Congressman, uh, as I mentioned, a lot of our employees work out in the field. That's um, their jobs to be on our public lands. The With ones respect- that are in the headquarters, though, have they yes. been ordered back into the office? Uh, thank you for that. I know that we are um, working. There's still some uh, members of our team who um, who are work- are teleworking several days out of the week. So but you, for the most You haven't part-
12: ordered them back into the office yet?
2: I have not placed an order to tell everyone to come in 9 to But 5 most of your testimony today Friday. has been about
12: how short-staffed you are. I would think they would be more efficient working from the office in the headquarters instead of from the house. Congress- when the pandemic is over, you could have already have them back in the office.
2: Um, th- thank you very much. Um, with respect to the staff shortages, those are mostly in the BLM and those are mostly the... Um, some of the positions out west. Um, I know that um, some folks are working a hybrid schedule like the rest of the federal government and corporate America. Um, so I, I guess can assure I guess you my
12: last, my, my question is, okay. it doesn't sound like you've ordered them back into the office at all. So if not, when do you plan on ordering them back into the office?
2: Congressman, I really want to assure you that everyone is it works very hard in my department. Uh, we are working uh, every single day, regardless of where we are working. Um, and certainly- I don't um, think it's
12: a matter of working hard. It's a matter of being productive for the American people. So, Mr. Chairman, can. I have no more further questions. Thank you. I yield back.
0: Gentleman yields back. The chair recognizes gentlelady from California, Ms. Kamlager Dove, are recognized for five minutes.
13: Thank you, Mr. Chair, and um, just thank you for coming back um, to the committee to chair. I think there was a question of uh, Secretary Holland about if she knew where the wilderness is, and sometimes I think this committee is the wilderness. Um, having said that, thank you for speaking with us today uh, and for the important work that you are doing heading the Department of Interior. I think at the rate we are headed with these proposed Uh, cuts we would be looking at cutting the meat the bone the life out of the department um, which is incredibly important Um, you all do incredibly important work in terms of protecting our federal lands and our federal resources Um, I have a question Um, how is the DOI using BIL and IRA funds to support job creation specifically related to revitalizing communities at the front lines of the energy transition? And specifically, how would the uh, Republican proposed budget cuts reduce the interior's job-creating power?
2: Thank you very much for the question, Congresswoman. And um, I could say that with regard to renewable energy, we work with states, local communities, industry, and labor to ensure that we develop the workforce to support all of these projects. Offshore wind has a potential to create more than 44,000 jobs and support nearly 33,000 more uh, on top of that. We're also working to make sure that the right incentives are in place to encourage this work. Um, I, I, the cleanup of abandoned mine lands has created jobs and closed thousands of dangerous mines. Those are jobs that folks have lost because um, mines have closed or things have shut down, uh, but we're invigorating, reinvigorating those communities with jobs on our abandoned mine uh, land and orphan well uh, projects. Um, so we're, we're very proud of, of the work that we've been able to generate as a result of President Biden's policies and President Biden's budget.
13: Great. Thank you. I have one additional question. Uh, While the department's budget continues to increase its funding request for offshore renewable energy, which we greatly need, and the administration speaks to the need to addressing our climate crisis, we also just saw the department's approval of the Willow Oil Project in Alaska. And so would like it if you could um, explain this disconnect I ask because I represent uh, the District of Los Angeles, which is home to one of the largest urban oil fields in the country, and this is an issue for us.
2: Congresswoman, thank you for the question. And I went to Los Angeles, so I saw some of those um, abandoned or orphan gas wells in people's backyards and recognize um, and I saw pictures of, of what Los Angeles looked like um, during that time that you speak of. Um, the top, you know it's a top priority for us in this administration to move responsibly with our uh, clean energy transition. Um, Onshore BLM is processing over 32,000 megawatts of renewable energy capacity, 68 renewable energy projects, solar, wind, geothermal, and five electricity transmission lines, uh, which I spoke of earlier in this hearing. Uh, There are over 120 pending applications for onshore solar and wind development with a potential generation of roughly 50,000 megawatts. So we are working very hard on this transition. Um, The industry, the clean energy industry, is very excited about the progress that we've made, and I believe um, they will continue to make investments into the work that we're doing.
13: Ah, thank you for that. And so I'm hoping that you all are preparing for the surge and development as it relates to clean energy, new technologies, implementation, et cetera. Uh, How are you going to manage it in terms of environmental impact and
2: staffing capacity? Uh, Thank you very much, Congressman, Congresswoman. With respect to that issue, BLM's Renewable Energy Coordination Offices, they're called ricos are working to expedite cross-agency permitting and coordination, and one of the keys to that, as I mentioned earlier, is making sure that all stakeholders are at the table. Um, When we start, we have to keep people informed and keep people um, so that we can all move forward together. Um, The funding increase in the 24 budget will support increased staffing and program work to increase the pace of renewable energy processing and managing increasing workload volumes. So we intend to make use of every dime of that 24 budget to move our country forward.
13: Great. Thank you so much for that. And also, I appreciate your extemporaneous tutorial on body language earlier. And with that, Mr. Chair, I yield back.